The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to be looking at Psalm 54 this morning. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray together and ask for God's help um, to recover from this morning's excitement and to focus in and learn from God this morning. So Psalm 54, O God, save me by your name. And vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. To your fa- in your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word now, um, we're grateful for uh, the fire department being able to handle the situation here at the building. And we're grateful that you have given us these words to be able to experience your goodness to us and to learn about your care and your name and your presence for us when we face threats and trouble. So just as you have delivered us from what's been going on in the building this morning, I pray that you would deliver our hearts from the threats of the enemy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I say the phrase, who are you going to (laughs) call, where does your mind go? Exactly. Anybody who grew up with the 80s around them knows that phrase. Why do you call the Ghostbusters? If I don't know if you remember from the movie, um, the fr- they're in their commercial, they advertise as our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve your supernatural elimination needs. We are ready to believe you. The reason you call the Ghostbusters when you've got paranormal, uh, supernatural elimination needs is because you know that their name represents the ability to get rid of your problems and that they believe you. Um, As they also say, if you are plagued by dread in your basement or attic, they will come because they are efficient and effective at supernatural needs to deliver your problems uh, if you have supernatural needs. (laughs) But the reason I bring them up is because when you think about being in need and being in trouble, and being threatened by something. Uh, Humorously, you think about calling the Ghostbusters. But uh, as we think about this psalm this morning, um, we have been going through what we're calling Jesus' mixtape of opposition. And this morning, we're kind of touching on the category of being threatened. So as uh, we've been kind of working through the psalms this summer, there's actually kind of this group of four psalms. Psalm 52, when you're opposed with lies. Psalm 53, when God is opposed with unbelief. Uh, Psalm 54, what we're looking at this morning, opposed with threats, and Psalm 55, opposed with betrayal. You see, the Psalms are Jesus' way of singing God's goodness and grace in our lives. And we've come to Psalm 54 where we talk about what does it mean, how do we respond, what's the tape, the song that Jesus puts in his tape deck when he and us are opposed with threats. See, the setting for this Psalm is uh, very, uh, very concrete. Uh, there is a situation in, in the, the life of David. David is uh, the big king in the Old Testament. He's the one that kind of shows us what does it mean for God to be uh, among his people and to lead them. 
And Psalm, in, in uh, 1 Samuel 23 and 26, there's a situation where the, the bad king of Israel is uh, trying to oppose and kill King David. And King David is out hiding out in the hills, and he is uh, trying to keep from being found by King Saul. And in the midst of all of that, the, the herdsmen and the clansmen, his own people, right? It's David and the last name would have been along the lines of Ziphites. They actually give him up to the guy who's trying to kill him. They say, hey, you know what? Um, I know that you're trying to find David and he's in hideout. But actually, if you looked over there by Elliot Hospital, you might find him. That's what they do in betraying David. And so in the midst of that, David feels very threatened. Right? He has been betrayed by his people. He's been betrayed by the very namesake of his family. And here he is in the middle of this psalm saying, okay, God, I'm being threatened. I have somebody who's legitimately psycho, has a sword in his hand, 3,000 men behind him, and he is trying to trample me to the ground. God, I'm feeling threatened. Would you please help me? Because I can't do this on my own. I feel unsafe and I feel vulnerable. See, David is experiencing in this psalm the emotion, this isn't right, and I don't know what to do. That's something that we can all kind of, we've all experienced that in one way or another. We feel, this isn't right, I don't know what to do, but I feel unsafe and vulnerable. So that's where this psalm comes in. One of the best things about the psalms is they actually give voice to our emotions. They take those things that are, are, are deep in our hearts that we don't really know how to articulate when we kind of get to a conversation with our friends. Like, I don't know how to say this, but I just, I don't feel this is right. I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated. And God, would you please help me? This is one of those psalms that kind of captures that song in our hearts and directs us what to do with that. And so as we maybe have felt vulnerable, maybe felt threatened, maybe felt unsafe, Maybe would have felt like I've got to keep the guards up because I don't know what to do. This psalm comes in and gives you voice of what to do, how to direct that towards God. See, here if we're going to say what the main point of this passage is, as we always do, the main point of this passage is when you don't feel safe, find peace in God's name. When you don't feel safe, when you feel this isn't right, I don't know what to do, I feel vulnerable. When you don't feel safe, find peace in God's name. The psalm is going to lead us into how to take our, have a more robust and deeper understanding of what does the name of God mean for us? What does it mean? And then how do we cover ourselves in it like a blanket? How do we find safety in who God is and his name and what that means? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to examine this in two parts. We're going to examine what does God's name mean? And then we're going to ask, what does that mean for us in our moments of vulnerability and feeling unsafe? So we're going to say, really, the first part of this, God's name covers everything. And then we're going to look at God's name provides specific help for my specific moment. We're going to pick up here in verse 1, as we just read. And we're going to look at God's name covers everything is kind of the first half of what we want to look at this morning. Because this is, this is the meat. This is the beginning. This is the main point of this whole psalm. And everything flows out of what's said in this verse 1. Verse 1, Psalm 54, O God, save me by your name, vindicate me by your might. We're going we're gonna to kind of pick up on the save me by your name. What does that mean, save me by your name? Does that mean that basically David's kind of saying, like, God, you're the divine bouncer. There's a lot of problems in my life, and I need you to fix it. You need to come in. You're the help. you got to fix it and solve the problem. Is that what... 
is that what this means? Is God the divine bouncer? Is that his name tag? Or is it just kind of like, um, I know that there's a supernatural being out there who has superpowers, kind of like Thor, you know, like kind of like the Hulk, stronger than me. I need you to help me. You see, this is, um, there's actually a big, big deal in the Bible about names. When anybody who's had kids, you know that when you pick your name for your kids, there's like a lot of meaning in what you're trying to pick out, right? My kids' names, um, we got a bad rap with our family. Some typically people do like family names for their kids' names. So the names for my family that we would have chosen for all of our four boys, we had grandparent names to choose from, and they were along the lines of uh, Lionel. Um, my grandfather's name was Homer. And then my other grandfather's name was Gaylord. G-A-Y-L-O-R-D, Gaylord. Changed in the last 80 years from what it originally means, so we weren't gonna use any of those names. And so we ended up with Owen after the Puritan John Owen, which nobody knows who that is. He's an old guy, long since dead, wrote some really good stuff about Jesus. Um, Owen, Isaac, son of uh, joy, because Michelle and I, we'd had two miscarriages and then had Isaac, and it was son of our joy. Um, Silas, out of the New Testament, um, I'm sure he was a wrestler in the New Testament. And then um, we've got Ian, God's gift. They mean something. We pick names that mean something, that have a meaning to them. In fact, in the Old Testament, um, God actually has a practice of renaming people. Right? You have Abram, who becomes Abram, which is father of multitudes. You have Jacob, which means the cheater, I promise. If you played board games with me, you know that's true. And then he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, from cheater to God fights for him. Right? Names mean something in the Bible. And when God renames something or names something, it's meaningful. So when in verse 1 it says, oh God, save me by your name, David's not just saying kind of like, hey God, I've heard that you save people. Would you throw me a bone? Right? That's not what he's saying here. Right? He's not just kind of saying like, oh Lord, I know that you do stuff. Would you help me out? <laughs> he's actually driving in on a theological dynamic in the Bible. And when we say the word theology, that means how we think about God. He's, he's picking up on a very important core dynamic in the Bible of what God's name means about God. Right? In the Bible, we can talk about two dynamics when we talk about who God is. We can say God's names and his attributes. So when we talk about God's, God's name, that's kind of what he's talking about here. We talk about God's attributes. We talk about things like God's eternal, right? He, God is eternal, right? He has no boundaries. He has no, um, he has no borders on his, on his being. God is forever and ever and ever. When we say God's omniscient, right? That God is everywhere, right? When we talk about God being... I'm sorry, omniscient, he's om, omnipotent, is mean that God is, omni means all, potence, right, potent air, he's everywhere. Um, omniscient is that God knows things, he knows all things, right, that's a part of who his, his attributes, that's a part of what his very nature is, right, he's holy, he's distinct, he's good, right, God is, one of his attributes is being self-sufficient, right, all of us are going to, around 11 o'clock, feel that we are very not self-sufficient. And we're going to start looking forward to that 
replenishment of lunch, right, where we resupply ourselves with food and energy. God does not ever get hungry. He does not ever need anything. He is of himself able to be who he is without ever running out, right? So those are like attributes of God, right? Those are kind of like that, what are things about God? And the names of God, right, things like he is called um, in Genesis 22:14, Jehovah Jireh, which means God willing to provide, or Exodus 15:26, Jehovah Rophi, which means God heals. Right, so he's got all these names. Right, we think about him being the Lord, him being the healer. We think about him being the shepherd. Right, so we're talking about the attributes and names of God. That's what, that's kind of what's in view, but there's more going on here. If you're if you're a uh, a Bible nerd, and you've got a big theological book in, the, in, your, in your library called A Systematic Theology, you might look up the term divine simplicity. That means that God is simple in and of himself. That, that's, where we're gonna, that's where kind of what this verse is getting at. The, oh God, save me by your name is hinting at this reality in the Bible, this teaching in the Bible, that God is simple, that his name means something, and that it's true about all of who God is. Right, attributes and names, the attributes and names of God are like different, different faces of a diamond, right? Have you ever given like an engagement ring or you've seen an engagement ring or you know what I'm talking about with a diamond, right? You've got different faces of the diamond, right, where it cuts, but it's all a part of the diamond, right? So when you say God's omniscient and God's a healer, right, those aren't like two different things that you add up to get God, right? They are both true about God all the way through. Everything about God is both those things all the time at all instances in eternity and existence, right? So we're kind of getting into some deep theological waters here, but I'm going to kind of lead us in a little bit more, hopefully, into the waters a little bit more carefully and helpfully, right? So when we say God is love, that is true about all that God is. But when you say Jacob's a jerk, um, that's true sometimes. (laughs) My wife can attest that it's not true all the time right? That I'm not through and through a jerk all the time. I'm just a jerk, you know, 65% of the time. But God, when you say God is love, God is love 100% of the time. God is holy 100% of the time. And God's holiness and love are true about each other. It is absolute to who God is, right? He is always those things. And you cannot take them apart and still have God. there is a, a theologian by the name of Herman Bavink. Can we throw this picture up here? This is a quote from him. I threw his picture in here just because I just thought the guy had a pretty, pretty good mug, you know? Just like, man, I do not want to mess with a guy who looks at me. And whatever he says about Jesus, it's just kind of like, yes, sir, you know? But God's being is revealed to us in his revelation. That is in his name. So that's what we're talking about here is Psalm 54, verse 1. Scripture knows nothing of God's being aside from his attributes. As God reveals himself, so he is. In his names, he himself becomes knowable to us. The names of God include everything there is to say about God himself. Everything you can say about God is always true about other things about God, and they are all true all at the same time. So here's, here's the difference between... I'm not... We, it's, it's a struggle to get this, uh, this idea because we tend to think of God kind of like a big us, right? We tend to think of God as like just us with a little bit of some superpowers uh, put on, 
little bit of some invisibility. You can't see him, and he's bigger, right? But here's the thing. When we think about you or me, am I still a human being if I cut my finger off? Am I still a person? Well, yeah, but I've lost a little bit of myself. Right? When, when, you, when you meet somebody or maybe yourself have a handicap, right? you think about like being deaf or mute or some mental handicap, are you still a human being? Do you st- are you still a person? Yeah, you still are a person, right? Even though we're sinners, we still have the image of God. So we, we have the image of God in us, but it's been defiled, but then we're still creating the image of God and we're still people, right? If you have an organ transplant, are you yourself still human or are you like two and a half or like one and a 2.0 people, you know, like 1.2 people? Like you have like extra, right? So when we think about human beings, like you can take parts of us away and we're still human, right? We're still people, still human beings. You cannot do that with God. With God, you can't say, well, he's God, but take away love and he's still God. You can't do that. All of who God is is true all the time and you cannot separate parts of it. That's what it means God's simple. Like we're complex creatures, right? You know, I've got emotions that are all weird and all the time, but I'm still human even when I've got whacked out emotions. Or if I have no emotions, I'm still human. With God, everything is true about him all the time without any difference, and you can't take anything away. Herman Baving also says someplace else, whatever God is, he is that completely and simultaneously. God has no, pro- no properties, but is pure essence. Think about that. God is pure essence. So I know we're kind of leading through this. I'm going to throw up another quote from, actually, Augustine, right? One of our African brothers, one of the most important theologians of all of church history. Can we throw this up from Augustine? I got a sweet picture of him, too. Super old. Do we not have that? It don't have that? Oh, okay. I'd really tried to find it. It's okay. Augustine says, God above whom there is nothing, outside of whom there is nothing, apart from whom there is nothing. God is supreme life supreme truth, supreme blessedness, supreme wisdom, supreme being. God is himself, absolutely himself all the time, true love, goodness, grace, holiness, all-knowing, all-being, all the time, everywhere, forever and ever and ever, without needing any of our help, always until the end of time. Amen. That is who God is. He is somebody you do not mess with, right? We are talking about somebody who does not need us, who is not to be messed with, who is himself, who he is. And so when we say verse one, Psalm 54, oh God, save me by your name, David is tapping into the deepest well possible in the world for finding help in the midst of trouble. Because he's not tapping into, here's um, a get get past jail, free card. God, I need your help. He's not appealing to somebody to kind of get him off the, uh, get him off of the problem that's going on in his life. He is tapping into God's name, his person, his essence, who God is in and of himself, right? He is tapping into the deepest realities of the universe. So to appeal to God's name isn't just to say, hey, God, your resume says you save people. When he's got problems, He's saying, God, I need you, right? This is why later on in John 17, John, Jesus talks about, I have manifest your name to your people whom you have given me. And he goes on to say, 
I know um, I make known to them your name. The name of God reveals the very essence and person of God. So when we're talking about the name of God, we're not just talking about kind of like placards on his desk. We are talking about who God is himself, the very purpose and nature of who he is. So we see this in verse one, oh God, save me by your name. And then verse two, six, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. So the name of God is the, is the big dynamic, is, is the bookends of this psalm. It is what David is driving at. When he feels threatened, he says, there are a lot of places that my mind can go, but the most important place for my mind to go is to who God is in himself, that he is revealed to be for me so that I can tap into who God is in this very moment when I feel absolutely vulnerable and threatened. There are a lot of places that we go when we feel threatened. There's a lot of names that we go to. And it's a, we go to our friends. Right? I think about like I go to my wife or I go to Jay or I go to people that I feel, when I feel threatened and I talk about what's going on. But even those people, their name, it's not going to help me out in the end, right? right? Even Michelle, my wife, the dearest person and the wisest counselor in my life, she will fail me. She will disappoint me because it's just a part of being human, right? Her very nature is not wisdom through and through. My very nature is not wisdom through and through. God's nature, his, his name is wisdom in every aspect of his life. So when we face trouble, we are going to somebody who's both holy and wise, both at the same time, right? I might have a bad day when you try to talk to me for help. I'm going to fail you as a pastor, even though my name is to be a pastor and help you become a disciple of Jesus and help you follow him. God's name is totally different. So when David says, I am feeling threatened and vulnerable, I need to tap into something, into someone, into the very essence of somebody whose whole being is committed to being something that you and I will never be. And that's where he finds his help. Right? That, that's why this is a very profound psalm, because it's driving us into God's name himself, who he is. So you see, as David is leading us into thinking about how do we handle feeling unsafe, feeling threatened, or just feeling at unease, like things aren't right, find peace in God's name, because God's name means who he is for you at all times, at all places. So when David begins to apply this, we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of make a turn now. We're going to kind of circle in at the back end of this psalm and cut through all, cut through all seven of these verses and apply this when we say this is who God's name reveals him to be. And we're going to kind of see a few aspects of what God's name reveals him to be and how that helps our specific situations, right? Because you might be thinking, this sounds great. I really like that God is absolutely unfazed by anybody else in the world and is who he is all the time. But how does that help me tomorrow or this afternoon when I'm threatened by somebody on Facebook or on the streets, you know? So David here is going to help us apply his theology. He's going to help us to identify how to apply this name of God in various ways in our life. So here's what we're going to do. Pick up here in verses 1 through 3. God names, God's name provides specific help for my specific moment. Why? 
because his name is power. Right? Verses 1 through 3, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before their eyes. So you see there is a power play going on in these verses. There is a power dynamic going on. There are people who have power, who have strength, who have might, who are threatening David specifically in his situation. Here was David with maybe a few dozen bros with him. And King Saul was sick with 3,000 men bearing down on his mountain against him. They are coming after David, and they have might. And yet, what David appeals to is, Oh God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. Now, if we take everything we just said, if God is absolutely who he is, power, wisdom, love, all the time, where do you think our might, the strongest armies in the world, stand in comparison to that being? Nothing. Has anybody in here been to the Grand Canyon? Right. A few of you have been, been to the Grand Canyon. If you stand by the Grand Canyon, our, our friend Ian McConnell, who was just here a few weeks ago preaching for us, when you stand by the Grand Canyon, you have the sense, if I take a picture of this, it does a disservice to the power and glory of what's being revealed right here. All right, even taking a selfie, like, ah, look at me. Like, it doesn't even, like, like you take the picture and you feel like you've offended the power. But you, the, the glory of what's being revealed in the Grand Canyon. All right, you can't even capture it. Similar to other things, being able to, uh, Mount Washington, Similar dynamic. You'd be, you're up in the mountains and you take a picture and you're just like, this does not, there's nothing about this that captures the glory and power of this moment. Right? So when David feels threatened, he says, there is something about the power and glory of who God is that the might of the, of the person that's threatening me cannot even compare to. So God, give me a heart that holds that in perspective. That your name is power, right? Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And then he turns and does the comparison. For strangers have risen up against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before their eyes. This can happen even among Christians. That we can use power plays. That we can manipulate and try to dominate over each other use our, our strengths and, and gifts to dominate other people, even in the family of God. And so here David says, keep this perspective in mind. Even when people misuse their power over you, misuse the power even within your family and Jesus, realize that if that's what's going on, there has been a, there's a moment in their hearts where they've slipped by displacing God out of their hearts. They've not set God before their eyes. They might even be in the family of Jesus, but they have let God slip from being the way in which they think about power and serving other people. And we can appeal to God's name, saying, God, I, I don't know what's going on here, and I feel vulnerable and threatened, and I need your power to come through. And do you pick up on this, verse 2? Oh God, hear my prayer. If everything we've just said about God is true, that God is this massive, incomprehensible, pure essence of divine love and goodness and beauty and power and holiness, verse 2 is astounding. Oh God, hear my prayer. David goes on to say in Psalm 65 too, oh Lord, you are the one who hears prayer. Right? Isn't it amazing? Like, when we think about powerful people in the world, like, who, by the way, regardless of your political affiliations, 
President Trump was here this week, probably one of the most powerful people in the world, right, regardless of a political comment on him. Did anybody in this room talk to him? <laughs> anybody get it? Get, hey, you know what, here I'd like to adjust your foreign policy. Can we, rec can we, no. But here we're talking about the most divine, the biggest, the, the most amazing person in the universe. And then he comes down to us here at Little Old Hope Center for, for New Hampshire and says, I hear your prayers. He hears you. Isn't that an amazing thing that God's name, as massive and intimidating and awe-inspiring and terrible as it might be to be before the name of, before the, the very person and being of God, he stoops it down so that he hears your prayer. I mean, isn't that amazing that when, when you feel threatened, whether it's, God, I'm, I'm facing my, I'm facing down my addiction and I'm struggling because I know that I am vulnerable before these situations or these contexts. God looks at you and his essence, his being, all that he is comes down and sits right in front of your face and says, I hear the prayer. I hear your need. I hear what you want. And I'm here to help you. So that when you feel threatened by whatever you're facing, God's closer and his power, his name, is closer than any threat that could get close to you. We're going to move on because we could keep dwelling here. But God, God's name, God's name provides specific help for my specific moment of vulnerability or feeling unsafe because his name is power. I'm going to hear it drop to the end of the psalm, verses 6 through 7, also because his name is goodness. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name. It's like we keep hitting this phrase. Your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. And he has looked in triumph on my enemies. You see, if it's one thing to say, verses 1 through 3, that God's name is power. Power compels submission. But goodness delights the heart. No. I promise that's not God's judgment upon us. <laughs> Power compels submission. Goodness delights the heart. Did you pick up on that? I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. It's good. Right? It's one thing to say about a building. I love the power and strength of the structure. Look at the cement, the, the foundation that's been laid, and then all the pillars and how it's all been put together. It's another thing to walk into that building and saying, I like being here. I like, I like being in this building. It's beautiful. It's good. It delights me. You know, it's one thing to say, I've got a cake bake. And I like all the ingredients that get put in there. They're all organic and naturally grown. And the cows were petted before they milked the cow and all that stuff. It's another thing to eat the cake and say, mmm, I enjoy it. You see, who God is for us, David's saying, is not only powerful so you can rest under the power of his wings, but he delights the soul so that it's good. Our souls are designed. We are made to respond to God with joy and delight. That's why the whole tagline for this church is loving Jesus together because he's made us to be people that love him and enjoy him and experience his goodness deep down in our souls. Right? So that's why verse 7, for he delivered me. He gives an example. For he delivered me from every trouble. What are the troubles that you want to be delivered from? 
Think about them and, and, and put them in the context that God has designed you to be delivered from those troubles so that there is a unique way that you enjoy him for delivering you from those things, whether it's an addiction to porn or substance, whether it's an anger issue, whether it's a relational dynamic in your family, whether it's a work and it's a job that you hate and despise. God has designed you so that not that you are delivered from your family or work, but so that you are delivered from your... De- from your heart's posture towards those things, to enjoy who is, verse 6. And my, look, my eyes have looked in triumph on my enemies. Verse 6. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. When our hearts love Jesus, when our hearts respond to God and enjoy who he is, what he's revealed himself to be for us, we don't just do what the mere minimum is and loving him. Free will offerings in the Bible, or in the Old Testament specifically, you had several different types of sacrificial system. For these things you give for this, you know, these are the taxes for that. But then there's this whole category for a free will offering. If you're looking at your life and just saying, God's been good to me, I want to give extra. I want to give more. I just want to respond. I see how he has lavished upon me grace and goodness, and I just... And the, the, the small ways in which I can take my life and return it to reflect him, I want to do that. So maybe that's with your time and finances. Maybe there's things within the church or mission work that we want to give to that, yeah, it's going to sacrifice to give to those things, but I want to be somebody that's a free will. Just, God, just take, take it all. God, just take it. I'm so grateful for what you've done. Or that there's things that we want to serve in our neighborhoods. It's going to require us to sacrifice a Sunday night or a Saturday morning. God, instead of being begrudging about it, God, just take my time, God. You've been so good to me. Your name is goodness for me. What a little thing I can do just to give my time. A heart that has been changed by the goodness of God's name loves to respond in gratitude and generosity in all areas of life. Let's finish up by looking at these two middle verses. I think that what's going on in the psalm, you have God's name in verse 1, and you have God's name mentioned in verse 6. Here in the middle, you have the very crux of the issue of David feeling unsafe and finding peace in God's name. So when God's name provides specific help for my specific moment, for your specific moment, because his name is helper. Verse 4 through 5 O God, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. So God's name is now tilted. (laughs) He's my helper. He's powerful. He's got it under control. He is power. He's good. He's designed us to respond to him and enjoy him. And now he puts it into practice. God's name, he is my helper, right? This isn't like saying like, oh, we've got the help in the house who comes and cleans, right? And they take care of things so that I can do what I want. It's actually God saves us to himself by being amidst the trouble with us. This last week, I don't know if you guys saw this video kind of um, circulating around. It was an interview between um, Anderson Cooper and um, uh, Stephen Colbert. Did anybody see this video kind of going around of kind of like this interview between them, there's this moment where Anderson Cooper, um, not a believer, as far as I'm aware, 
um, tearfully asking Stephen Colbert, who writes this in his book about suffering, he says, Cooper, choking back tears, asked Colbert, um, as they discussed, discussed grief in his life, he said, you, 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 I'm botching this a little bit, so bear with me. Cooper says to him, you said, what punishment of gods are not gifts? Do you really believe that? So what he's quoting here is uh, Colbert is like a major Tolkien nerd, right? So Tolkien's universe, there's all these gods. And he, Tolkien was a devout Catholic. Stephen Colbert is a devo devout Catholic. And he's making a connection and saying, what are the, the, um, the gifts of the gods sometimes include, the gift of God includes suffering, suffering in our lives sometimes. He gives suffering as a punishment in a certain sense. So Cooper, point, poke, choking back tears, talking about the suffering that Colbert had gone through, he says, so do you actually believe that, that punishment, that suffering is like a good thing in your life? And uh, the comedian Stephen Colbert, who's a devout Catholic, replied, it's a gift to exist, and with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. In my tradition, that's the greatest gift of the sacrifice of Christ. God does it too. You're not alone. God does it too. You see, being in a situation where you need help, being in a situation where you're suffering, being in a situation where you're experiencing extreme vulnerability and threats, that is the great reality of the Christian message. It's not that God's only near you. It's that God's done that too. God's been vulnerable. God's been threatened. God's been in a situation where he felt extreme anxiety over the threats of the power of people around him. That's what happens in the cross of Christ where he feels the deep vulnerability of the entire world turning their back on him, being hung between heaven and earth, and God himself turning his back on Jesus who's standing in our place. That is what Christianity teaches. That's what Christianity is all about, is that the help that God provides for us is the very help that God himself needed, right? God put himself in a situation where he was absolutely alone, absolutely vulnerable, absolutely threatened, and succumbed to those things, right? Death. And he took all those things on himself so that when he says, I provide help, it's not just kind of like, let me write you a check. And it's not merely, let me sit down, I'm all-powerful. It's, I've been through that too. So that when you and I, we come to the end of our day and we're kind of like, oh my gosh, God, I'm going to kill myself. This is crazy. This is insane. I don't understand how I can keep going on. I feel threatened and vulnerable. God says, I've done it too. And I, all-powerful, all-good, all-self-sufficient, the very name of God comes down and indwells your soul to give you the very grace that you need to find peace and put your head on the pillow with hope for tomorrow. That's how the psalm enters us into Jesus himself. You see, Jesus himself was vulnerable and troubled by injustice, and he trusted in God's name, and he experienced the might of God. Now, it was on the other side of the cross. So that does not mean that all of your troubles and all the threats against you would just immediately go away. It does mean that amidst all those troubles and threats that you experience, Jesus has done it too and is with you. So that when you don't feel safe, you can find peace in God's name.
Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we need your help. We need your nearness. We want more of you. Lord, I pray as we have talked about your name this morning and try to do a deep dive into theological categories of who your name is and what does that mean for our daily life. God, would we come out joyful knowing that your powerful name is near us, knowing that your good name is for us, and knowing that your help comes and sustains us. So Jesus, help us this morning to experience the joy of your peace when we feel threatened. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.